Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. I want to welcome everybody uh, this episode because the guest I have this, uh, this time is somebody who's been on the show a long time ago, so far back that this guest was my very first guest. Um, kudos awards to those trivia buffs who have been listening to all episodes if they can remember without prompting and Googling it. Who was my very first guest? Well, he's back. And this doesn't mean it's my last guest, but he is back. I want to welcome back Matt Forbeck. Matt, thanks for, Matt, for, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me back again, Richard. I really appreciate it. You are known as, uh, honestly, if somebody's listening and they don't know who you are, that's a, that's, that's a shame on them. But you are an <laughs> extremely prolific author and game designer. Um, for people who, just at a high level to kind of understand who you are, what, what kind of uh, calling card do you, would you tell them? Well, I've been uh, doing tabletop games, video games, and novels for the last 20, 25 years. I've got uh, 27 novels in print at the moment, uh, including a number of tie-ins for for Dungeons & Dragons, and for Blood Bowl, and for Guild Wars, and for Leverage, and a bunch of other stuff. I also wrote the Marvel Encyclopedia that came out earlier this year, and I also did the 2009 edition of that. I work on a lot of MMOs and uh, iOS and Android games. I do. I used to run a company called Pinnacle Entertainment Group, which did Deadlands and Brave New World, a whole bunch of other tabletop role-playing games. Um, I've won lots and lots of awards for all this stuff. Uh, my books sell pretty well, and I'm very happy. I, I do all this so I can feed my wife and my five kids. Yeah, and four of those kids all came at once. That's right. We have quadruplets. They're now uh, 12 years old. Oh, my gosh. So, well, it's a lot easier than when they were one. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's it's true. They get to be all having to do driver's ed at the same time, which my eldest has just gotten through. Um, when they all have to do a driver's ed at the same time, it's 30 hours of training each in Wisconsin with oh, practice behind a field. Gosh, session. you're making so me tired. Just, hours of driving I'm looking at. <laughs> you're making me tired just talking about it. Let's talk about a couple of things because uh, one of the reasons you're on the show is because when you were my first guest way back in November of 2011, a lot of people thought that month, October, November, and December of 2011, I had a lot of people thinking that the bubble was about to burst on Kickstarter. <laughs> right? I mean, we laugh, but they did. They thought it's over, right? I got to get my get my money now because it's it's almost over. And it was a hundred successfully funded board games. That's the category we were looking at, and two million dollars of successfully funded money was raised. You were on the show because you were doing something nuts. You had a twelve for twelve program. Basically, you were planning. Well, why don't you tell me? Tell the audience what was it? This twelve for twelve thing that you were launching in, in that we were talking about way back in the fall of two thousand eleven. Well, I'm, I'm a pretty fast writer, so I thought that I had this crazy idea that I could write a dozen novels in a year, right? And I kept them short. I kept them about fifty thousand words, which is still, you know, two hundred two hundred fifty pages worth of book. And you know, the kind of books that we used to read in the seventies and such before we got uh, to doing doorstop size fantasy novels, and. I said, okay, I'm going to write, I'm going to do 12 novels this year. I'm going to break it up into four Kickstarters and do a Kickstarter for each trilogy of novels I'm going to do. And I ran four, all four Kickstarters. They all overfunded, hit their stretch goals, and uh, we were off and running. In the course of that, I have to admit, I did not quite finish all 12 that year. I ended up running um, nine of those novels that year and a novel for leverage, which is about double the regular size, and nine issues of the Magic the Gathering comic book for IDW, and a StarCraft short story for Blizzard, and I sold another novel to Tor. So it was, 
I, I say I failed, but I failed well at least. <laughs> sure, sure. There's plenty of content if people wanted to read Matt Forbeck authored content. Now, did you f- end up finishing the last three? I still I, – I the second one I'm revising hopefully next week and the third one I'm writing after that. Uh, we had some crazy interesting and uh, silly health issues going on in my family there for the last year or so. Uh, I ended up with glaucoma. And my dad got sick. It just kind of got nuts. So we are now catching up with all that stuff. So and I anticipate having it out pretty soon. And so you look back, and I can remember we were talking at the time because those who people who like to write, um, I've participated. NanoRimo, the National Novel Writing Month of yeah. November. Um, the goal is to crank out a fifty thousand word novel. Um, most people don't worry about editing; nobody's going to read it, right? You just crank it out. You were trying to do that every month. Yeah, and I wrote two of them that November. Yeah, in, in NaNoWriMo because I was trying to catch up. And you know what's interesting is is that at the time, like I just said, we had two million dollars worth of successfully gamed, um, funded, raised in November. Excuse me, in, in two thousand eleven. There were a lot of things that you were – it was kind of like, hey, if you fund me – because I can remember what happens. The funding started to take off a lot faster than you recognized. You started to revise some of these projects, right? There were some changes yeah. that you went through. No, actually, yeah. The first time I, I did it, I uh, I just locked myself out of my screen. <laughs> Hold on one second. There. First time I did this, I, I set up uh, the first trilogy as with a main goal of $3,000 and then the other – novels in the trilogy were stretch goals, right? Um, and I figured that way I would have a low goal that I could hit, and I would make that a flag, a hill upon which I could plant a flag and then rally the troops to go to the next one. Uh, in the second one, I got about midway through the drive, and I realized I was not going to be able to fund all three novels. I was like, oh, God. I was like, what's going on? And it turned out that people were afraid to back it at that point because they thought they might only get one of the novels as opposed to all three of them, Right. And you can see why that would hold people back a little bit. I was very fortunate on the last day we needed about $5,000 to hit all the stretch goals. And I ended up getting retweeted by Will Wheaton and Neil Gaiman and John Rogers and a few other guys. And that ended up boosting up to $7,000 that day instead, just you know, like the course of 12 hours, actually. And that put us over our goal. We did. But I was so relieved to get through that. I said, next time out, we're just going to set a main goal of, say, $10,000 and then put smaller stretch goals after that for other stuff. But if we hit that main goal, then we write all three books and we don't worry about uh, trying to make each of the books for stretch goals. So you're guaranteed to get all three books. And that worked very well. The third uh, of the Kickstarters I ran was the most successful of them all. And then the fourth one did very well as well. And when we talk about success, this is again, this is 2012 that we were doing this. What kind of uh, funding did you do for those campaigns? How, how well did you do? Yeah, they came in at, I think we raised something over $60,000 for the uh, four different campaigns total, which for novels at the time, they were all, each time yes. when they came out, they were each in the top 10, right? Right. Back and then, yeah. And, you know, things have gone past that since then. Uh, I actually did an analysis in my blog at one point trying to figure out what was really, what I would consider to be a real novel Kickstarter, right? And you go through and say, well, this one's a novel Kickstarter, but it's got some crazy license attached to it, or this one's a novel Kickstarter, but uh, it looks like there was actually only a dozen people backed it and one person tossed in like $5,000 or whatever it was. And it, obviously somebody's mom or, or spouse came in or whatever and pitched them the money uh, to make sure they succeeded. And I went through and discounted those. And he came up with a pretty decent list of, of what it was. And I figured out that at the time, if you uh, the top the bottom level for the top 10 of real novels kind of was doing was about $12,000, right? And it's gone up since then a bit. 
But you know, novels on Kickstarter are not uh, the most natural thing for Kickstarter. They work pretty well, but games just go crazy. I mean, things that you can produce more cheaply the more you make of them, right? Like uh, plastic miniatures for games. Yeah, that's really that has really kickstarted what Cool Mini or Not has done when they started doing the look hundred dollar pledge, and then as we hit each stretch goal, we'll just keep pouring more things into that hundred dollar pledge. Yeah, exactly. I think Reaper was the first one to do that with their bones. Yep. Uh, their bone strap, and they hit what almost three million dollars, something like that. It was insane amount of money. Insane amount of money. Now let's go back to your writing because one of the challenges is, is as a as a as a novel, that sixty thousand dollars you raised really went, I'm going to guess, towards one thing. Well, it went toward a number of things, <laughs> but but it mainly went to making sure that you could stay focused. It, yeah, I mean, exactly. The, the money wasn't going to manufacturing. The money no. wasn't going to shipping. The money was going to making sure you could had the time to, to produce those novels, right? Exactly. Well, most of it. I mean, there's some yeah. of it actually for the hard copies. Obviously, I'd have them printed and I'd have them shipped and all that kind of stuff. So, but the uh, when you're talking about a good number of novels, that that money is not a it's not a trivial amount of money, but it's not the focus of it, right? Um, for me, it was as a writer, as a guy who was a professional writer, getting advances from publishers. For me to say, geez, I'd really like to take a few months or a year off to write books for myself uh, without any real chance of recompense for that until they actually came out was a scary thing, right? I just I thought about trying to do that for years, and I couldn't figure out a way to pull it off until Kickstarter came along, right? And essentially, by running these Kickstarters, I was able to get my, my fans, my backers, to give me an advance for the novel, to say, we think this is a good idea, and we trust you to produce this. Here's the money you need to pull that off. And that's interesting is that that's actually a traditional model. Unlike what some people have said in the board game, getting in advance to produce a board game is kind of like a pre-order system. But this idea that, hey, you're going to get a – the writer gets an advance on a, to write a book is not – that is very common in the, in the book industry. Yeah, that's exactly how it goes just about every time you write something. You get uh, – like I've always – I've been kind of fortunate. I've sold all my novels on pitches, which means I sell them on a one- or two-page idea to a publisher, right? So essentially when I went to the Kickstarter, I was doing the same thing. I'm pitching it to my fans as opposed to pitching it to a publisher. But when you pitch it to a publisher, they say, that looks great. We think we can sell this many of them. We'll give you this kind of a royalty. And as an advance against that, we'll give you this much money so that you have the time that you could focus on this book and write this book. And then when it comes out, we'll you know, hopefully the advance will earn out. We'll give you even more money based upon the royalties as we go along. One of the things that you brought up that I can recall from our interview, the very first interview, and that was is that you have been a prolific author for those 20 years, but you have been writing for somebody else. Yeah, for a lot of it, I had been writing for somebody else. I had actually uh, written three novels that were original novels at that time for Angry Robot books, which are fantastic people, good friends of mine, actually. Um, but I was looking to do more things, and most of the stuff I had done up until that point had been work for hire, Right. So I'd been for you know, Wizards of the Coast and Games Workshop and you know a couple of different novelizations for other publishers. Fun, fun stuff, but not stuff that I owned, right? And uh, it was one of the things about being a, a creative like that is while it's fun to play in other people's worlds, every now and then you want to build your own thing. And I really got a kick out of doing that. And that's one of the things that Kickstarter was able to let me do. Yeah, and I want to bring this point up is because the people who are listening right now, whether they're game designers or, or writers or that type of thing, this is this is critically important because at the time, um, because you did, that means if I went and looked up Matt Forbeck on Amazon and bought a book of a Matt Forbeck authored book on Amazon, please do <laughs> yes. Um, but the the point was is that that money was not that that book was not owned by somebody else, right? 
Now, I, I got royalties on most of those things, right? Sure. That sure. meant that I got a, a piece of it along the way. And I was paid well for them, so I don't complain about that. But you're absolutely right. When I, when I put something on, I self-publish and put it on Amazon, you know, I get uh, 70% of the price, essentially, right? Whatever anybody pays on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or iBooks or whatever else. And so what you've been able to do then is 12, although there's only nine, you now yeah. have nine pieces of content that... Well, actually, there's 10. I did get the 10th. Okay, um, you got the 10th one out there. You got 10 pieces of content now that are out on Amazon that can now start generating even more money or revenue, to, right? And that it's not time-based. It's, it's, and people like one book, they like another, and, and off you go. Exactly. Now, I, I, I have to admit, I've spent too much time writing and not enough marketing since I got those finished, right? Because like anything else in the world, you have to let people know it's out there. One of the neat things about marketing for Kickstarter, and it, Kickstarter turned out to suck up an amazing amount of time while I was doing it that year. Right, because you were trying to write and do Kickstarter campaigns at the same time. Exactly, right? So I ran four Kickstarter campaigns in a year, and the same year I was trying to write 12 novels and do everything else. And it turns out they suck up every available spare second that you have, right? Whether it's uh, just you're thinking about it or you're writing for somebody or doing an interview or whatever. It's, you know, any kind of promotion you can do or, or marketing you do, you're trying to do to kick it out. The neat thing about doing it, though, with the Kickstarter is you know there's, a, there's an end line, right? You know there's, it's going to finish at some point. Whereas once you get a book out there, and you start marketing it, and you start marketing a series of books, there really isn't an end line. It's just it's a constant thing. And it's kind of refreshing to just have to be able to market a Kickstarter because you're like, okay, I'm going to go hard at this for a month, and then I'm done. One of the things I wanted to point out to listeners is, is that um, what's happened, though, is that you – focused all of that time and energy on creating I, I, I'm in the content business I, I produce content for a, a large a Fortune 400 company and that content we call it evergreen content yeah. you, you were able to focus use Kickstarter to focus and produce a significant amount of content that now has an evergreen nature that when you get the time and inclination to start marketing it you don't have to be doing the Kickstarter and be writing the content and be getting it out there. You could just focus 100% if you wanted to just on the pure promotion of the content that is now out there forever. Exactly. exactly. And, it's it's, it's kind of like having money in the bank. It, right? it kind of is. And just, it's growing interest for me every time I try to push it. And, that, and that's a good analogy. And so I wanted uh, a lot of people to understand what you did was kind of unique. It was kind of nuts, um, <laughs> right, is to kind of put your whole life on, on hold. How have things in some ways changed for you because you have um, we're going to have you come back as a guest um, with your publisher because there's a Kickstarter project out there based on one of these books but if you were to start do it again somebody's listening for the first time they're a writer they've got some ideas that they, they love what you've done they're a fan and they want to emulate you do you have some advice for them if they were to do something similar or is it even possible anymore to do what you did no, I think it's perfectly possible. There's guys out there, uh, Tobias Buckel is doing a Kickstarter right now for uh, in a, a collection of his short stories, for instance, right? What's that one and, called? Do you know what it's called? Xenowealth, uh, I think, starting with an X. Okay. Right? And uh, Tobias is a guy, Toby, has written uh, uh, Halo novels, and he's written uh, a fantastic series of his own science fiction as well, which a lot of these stories are set in. Um, and he's running it. I have other friends who are running novel Kickstarters on a fairly regular basis. And they all seem to do a very good job with it. The trick, I think, with any Kickstarter is that um, Kickstarter is a trust-based economy, right? Which means that if you're going to put an idea out there and ask people for money, they have to be able to trust that you're going to produce it. And there's two general ways to do that. Uh, the way I did it specifically is that I had a reputation that I already could trade on, 
I could say, look, I've already got this, these couple dozen books out here, whatever it was at the time. And, uh, you can trust me to produce these cause you see that I produce these. You want to see how I write? You can go re- read this stuff. I put out a short story in the, in a couple of the worlds for free trying to say, Hey, this is something you can look at and get a sample of. And that allowed people to say, sure, I can do that with you. Right. Uh, the other way to do it is if you're just, you put up a, uh, a video and a, a Kickstarter and a production sheet and everything else that is so compelling and amazing that people can't help but get excited about it. That's not something that's easy to do for a novice, right? But if you can do one or the other, that allows people to feel like they can trust you with their money. If they can't trust you with their money, they're not going to give it to you. You have that reputation, a lifetime of fans built up, uh, reputation. Is there something that you do to keep in touch with all of them so that when the time comes for you to do your next project, that you're able to leverage that uh, goodwill that you've built up? Yeah, I think just being out there, being you know, going to conventions, being online. I mean, I'm, I'm all over Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus and such um, because in part of it's not, it's not because I look at it as marketing, right? If, you, if, if getting out there and doing the social marketing stuff is going to be painful for you, if you're too introverted, you just, it seems stilted to you and seems awful, don't do it, right? Because it's just going to come across in the way you interact with everybody. Well, I'm out on uh, Twitter every day just saying, hey, have you seen this other cool thing my friend is doing? Or what about this other thing I'm really excited about? And helping to push other people's stuff. And you know, not just willy-nilly just tweeting everything, but saying, uh, kind of curating my own feed about what I think is neat out there. So when it comes time for me to put something out there, I, I have a lot of friends out there who now owe me a favor, so to speak. Yeah, that's and, a good way of looking at it. A lot of good car- You've got a lot of good karma out there. Exactly. And they're willing to say, you know, Matt helped me out when I needed it. I'm happy to help him out when he needs it. And that's always a good thing. If they don't, because they don't have the time or they don't have the energy or they just don't like me, who the hell knows? Um, it's not, not a hard feeling about it. You just This needs to work organically and be natural for people. You want authentic uh, backing from people, both just in plugs and in cash, as opposed to having people just step up and say, you know, I feel like I, I'm obligated to do something for you. But it's, it's wonderful to have that kind of support. I mean, we... Uh, God, we funded this next Kickstarter that we're doing for the role-playing game uh, in like a day. It was insane. Um, and still going pretty well. And, and that one, just because we up all that goodwill. And we're going to have your publisher come on in the next episode. And uh, the project is, so we can mention it here before we run out of time, it's Shotguns and Sorcery. Correct. Um, and the uh, publisher, tell me the publisher. They're Outland Entertainment run by Jeremy Muller. Okay. And we're going to have Jeremy and yourself come on on our next episode. We can talk about that project and kind of um, what you guys have done to, uh, to leverage this, what I call the ecosystem of Kickstarter that has built up over the last several years. Yeah, as, we, as we wrap up, um, we've only got about 90 seconds here. Uh, is it as easy to be on Kickstarter as it used to be? Yeah, I think in some ways it's easier because you don't have to explain it to everybody, right? There's a lot of people who know what it is intuitively. It's a little bit more, more difficult because there's more competition out there. There's more people who have already put all their money into Kickstarter. But uh, the number of people who know about Kickstarter in the, in the country or the world is relatively tiny percentage of the population or the people who might be interested in your stuff. So there's still plenty of room for growth out there, I think. I want to thank you, Matt, for joining me on the show. This has been great. Well, Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. You've been listening to uh, Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been my very first guest, um, Matt Forbeck, a prolific, prolific, pro- I can't even say the word, but to, he's, he, he writes a lot. And uh, you can find him out on uh, the internet under Matt Forbeck under just about anything you look at. Thanks for listening. Take care. 
Our intro and exit music is Orientation by Bureaucratic. You can listen to more of their music at soundcloud.com slash bureaucratic. Today's show is produced by Come Alive Creative. We want to thank their work, and you can find them at comealivecreative.com. Thanks for listening. Take care. Take care.